just make sure everything's turned on here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Miller. I'm part of the teaching team here. And uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And it's funny, you know, Dan did a little bit out of Hebrews this morning. You guys are going to be overwhelmed by Hebrews over the next few weeks. Um, Hebrews is actually one of my favorite books of the New Testament. And uh, we've been actually going through Hebrews chapter 11, which is one of my favorite chapters of my favorite books of the New Testament. So I just consider it a real privilege to get to talk about it and to go to teaching team where we can like discuss it in depth and kind of go, okay, what does this mean and everything? Um, so up until now, we've, we've studied a couple of the guys in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we've covered Abel and we've covered Noah a couple weeks ago. And then last week we had a little bit of a hiatus there. Um, so we're going to keep going here. We're going to talk about um, Abraham here coming up. Uh, the faith of Abraham. Um, just, just a little bit of background about the book of Hebrews. Um, the book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience. It's written to Jewish Christians, hence the name Hebrews. Okay? So, um, and what, what the writer, whoever it was, was trying to emphasize in the book of Hebrews is the whole idea that the doctrine of salvation by faith is not a new doctrine, okay? Dan talked about, this morning he was talking about the new covenant, the new covenant that came through Jesus' death on the cross. And that changed everything. But you know what? Even in the Old Testament time, a relationship with God was based on faith. And um, I'm going to be talking about that a little bit today. It's found all through the Old Testament. It's, faith has always been the way of entering into a relationship with God. And uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about, the faith of Abraham. Um, and we're going to actually cover this over the next couple weeks. Uh, because the story of Abraham, if you turn to the book of Genesis, it covers 10 whole chapters in the book of Genesis. Big chunk of the book of Genesis. Um, and I know Dan assigned some reading to you, uh, if you could read the, those chapters in the book of Hebrews. But if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, maybe over the next few weeks, too, you could um, just read through chapters um, 10, uh, 12 through 22 in the book of Genesis. That way you get a... I, I'm assuming a lot of you have a pretty good background in, in um, what the story of Abraham is. Now, the temptation is to spend a lot of time and go, oh, okay, uh, we want to go through every aspect of what happened in that story, but that's not what we're trying to focus on with this, um, with this section here. We're, we're trying to talk about uh, what is faith, okay? That's what this section is about. What is faith, and how is faith lived out? And specifically in the, in the life of Abraham. Those are kind of important questions, aren't they? What is faith, and how is faith lived? You know, the Bible seems to indicate that we kind of need to know the answer to those questions in order to have to know what's going to go on with our lives throughout eternity. So, so it's kind of important questions, okay? So if it's something you haven't really given much thought to, maybe you should. So let's, um, let's start here. I'm going to uh, start by reading these verses in the book of Hebrews 11. Uh, we're going to go uh, verses 8 through 12. So you can just follow along here or you can uh, read it in your own Bible there. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even when he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Okay, so what we're talking about here is Abraham, okay? Just a little background. So we think Abraham lived right around 2165 to about 1990 BC. Now this is a this is a unique time in biblical history, right? So we already talked two weeks ago. We talked about the flood, and so God uh, wiped out mankind except for this one family. And then in the ensuing years, people repopulated the earth. Okay. Until we get to the next chapter, as the next chapter is the Tower of Babel, right? And that's where God scattered and splattered people all over the face of the earth, and they all formed their own communities speaking their own language. This, according to the biblical narrative, this would have been the time when paganism started, when heathenism started, because when people were spattered and scattered all over the world, they developed their own worship. They developed their own gods, right? This is, but this is also the time we get, into he, we get into Genesis chapter 12. This is also the time when God started his plan of salvation. God had a plan to redeem mankind, I believe, from the time of the fall. But when it's when we get to Genesis 12 that we start to see God work out his plan of salvation. Abraham becomes a center figure in that plan of salvation. Um, his life was by no, no means perfect, as we'll see, but he became a model of a life lived by faith. So let's, let's look at that account. Now, what I'm going to do, I, I, I said we we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, but... If you first want to see where Abraham comes in the picture, it's in the last verse of Genesis chapter 11. So Genesis 11 says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. By the way, I want to just stop. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to mix up the names Abram and Abraham. I'm going to use them interchangeably. Sorry about that. It's, it's not that important to what we're talking about because, you know, he got his, his life changed, his name changed. But, so, I have a map, and I know how you guys love maps. <laughs> so, so this, so this is interesting. So, Abraham and his family and his dad, Terah, set out from Ur, which is right there, um, that's in modern-day Iraq, and they, it says they set out for Canaan, which is over here. And they ended up 
in Haran, which is up here. They were way off course, weren't they? Um, and we're not exactly sure why they ended up in Haran rather than Ur, uh, rather than Canaan. We have a theory, though. The theory is that both Ur and Haran were centers for the worship of the moon god Sin. Okay? And we know from the Bible that Abraham and his father Terah were, were heathens. They were, they were polytheists. Take a look at um, Joshua chapter 24. It says, Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. So there was, there was nothing special about Abraham. Abraham was a, a polytheist. He worshipped idols. Now, it, of course, this is depend on who you ask. The Muslims have, this, have some interesting fables about Abraham rebelled against his father, Terah, and refused to worship the gods that his father worshipped. But we have no evidence biblically that that was true. All we know is Abraham was this polytheist, just this dude in the, in the wilderness who God singled out by his grace. There was nothing special about him. He was no better than anybody else. He wasn't a secret believer in God. He was a pagan. God singled him out by his sovereign grace. Nothing is even said about his morality. That's irrelevant. Okay? And he was not given this moral code by God when God chose him. He just chose him by his, by his grace. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm going to talk about how God doesn't choose us. God doesn't choose good people. God, God doesn't choose people who are moral or better than anybody else. God chooses us by his sovereign grace. And that's an amazing thing. So let's get into it. Genesis chapter 12. This is the call of, uh, of Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go into the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him. What God is doing here is he's making a covenant. He's making a covenant with Abraham. But there's different kind of covenants. This is a one-way covenant. God is saying, I am going to do this for you. And I am going to do this for your descendants. He's not asking Abraham to do anything for him. He's not putting any caveats on the covenant. He's saying, I'm going to do this for you. This is a unconditional divine promise that he's going to fulfill the grant of Abraham's inheritance. Nothing about, if you do this, I will do this. It's a one-way covenant. Okay? And what was, what was Abraham's response to this covenant? He said, he left. 
as the Lord had told him. So Abraham's response to that was he was obedient. He accepted the word that God had spoken to him, and he acted on it immediately. Okay? So one of the things that we do as far as walking by faith is obedience. Okay? One of the things God calls us to do is obedience. But obedience just simply means following our part of the covenant, which isn't much. Right? Abraham really didn't have much to do as far as his part of the covenant because it was a one-way covenant. Right? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and he went, even when he didn't know where he was going. He was told that he was going to be getting an inheritance, but he didn't know where it was. He didn't know, even know what it was. God just promised him and he obeyed. He left everything that he knew behind, leaving comfort and familiarity in his you know, all his friends and family and his home that he knew about, and he embraced uncertainty. He embraced the future. This is the life of faith, right? It's uh, to make a break with the past and just go where God leads you. And Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about that too. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we don't know where that leads sometimes, right? Um, a couple weeks ago, here we go, involved making a break from our past in our life in order to follow and looking forward to something that he has promised, okay? Um, a couple weeks ago, we had our uh, cell group uh, retreat here at the church, and Dan got up and he gave a little devotion, and, you know, I was sitting there, and, you know, I was supposed to be paying attention to what Dan was saying, but I was actually thinking about this talk, because this kind, of, this kind of consumes me for weeks before I do it. And, and Dan read this verse out of 1 Thessalonians, and my ears pricked up. Uh, I, and I, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the context of what you were talking about. But, <laughs> but, it's, but 1 Thessalonians 1 says, they tell you, you turn to God, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And I, I looked at that and I go, that could be talking about Abraham, right? This is exactly what Abraham did. He turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. Well, you can stop there. And to wait for his son. So this word is to us. So our walk is very similar to the walk that Abraham walked. God is turning us, asks us to turn to him from idols to serve him and to wait for the coming of his son. I thought that was cool. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I, I have this diagram. We were talking about this in the teaching team uh, the other night, and I hope I can explain it pretty well. I thought it was profound. But that big arrow that's going across, that represents that one-way covenant. God is making the covenant with us. It's not a two-way arrow. It's a one-way arrow. Um, so as we go through faith, we know what we're leaving behind. Oops, not that button. Oops. Oh, well, I screwed it up. Where's my... 
There it is. Okay, so we know what we're leaving behind. God asks us to leave our old life behind by faith and move into the assurance of what we're, hope, what we're hoping for. That's the walk of faith, leaving what's behind and going on toward what's ahead. Although we don't necessarily know where we're going, we might only know the next step. I was thinking about this. My wife Sandy and I have uh, celebrated this summer, we were celebrated 35 years. We've been married 35 years. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, Mike, you don't even look 35 years old. <laughs> but it's true, we were married very young. But, and, and I guess we, I was thinking about this too because our son, Kyle, is getting married in, in about two months. And we were just talking about that and we were talking about, maybe you guys who are married, you can relate to this. When you got married, you had no idea what your life was going to be like. You had no idea what was ahead of you. And if someone had come and told you that, and told you what was going to happen 20, 30 years from now, you'd go, yeah, right. We, our lives are completely different and went in completely different directions than anything we would have dreamed about 35 years ago. And that's, that's what it is with the walk of faith. Abraham, too, he had no idea what was going to happen. All he knew was God was calling him to leave what was behind and go and trust him and just head for this land. And we all do, that's God's call to all of us. And we all do it in kind of miniature ways um, with the rest of our lives, too. And remember that, um, yeah, um, also through faith, uh, Abraham was living in tents, but what was he was he was looking forward to a city with foundations, something more permanent. So again, we live this temporary existence here on earth, and we're looking forward to a permanent city to be with God forever. And sometimes that takes that takes time. Okay? It takes in Abraham's case, it took a lot of time. Because if you follow the narrative in the Bible, you see that when when Abraham went from Ur to Haran with the whole family, he was in Haran for five years. Five years. And then that's when that call in Genesis chapter 12 was made and he was told to leave and head down to Canaan. Then another 10 years goes by. God didn't reveal himself to Abraham again for another 10 years. That's, that's, and I'm going to be getting into that section in a minute, but he was 85 at that point. And at that point, God promised him a son, but Isaac wouldn't be born for another 15 years. So we're talking about a long time to wait. I, I, I call this the Tom Petty time in his life. The waiting is the hardest part, right? And that's what he had to go through. I, you guys, never mind. <laughs> and perseverance and, and waiting is a part of our Christian walk. It, it often is. In Second Thessalonians, it says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. The, the people in Thessalonica were actually enduring persecution. We might not be enduring persecution, but we still have this perseverance and we walk through faith in the light of this perseverance. 
And that's what Abraham did. He continued his walk by faith despite how long it was taking. Okay. And Abraham never even saw the fulfillment of getting the land. He, he got a son eventually by the time he's 100 years old, but he never saw the fulfillment of the first promise that God made to him. So let's look at that and let's go on to the second part. So we talked about uh, Abraham being promised an inheritance. But Abraham was also promised descendants. Okay? And it wasn't until Genesis chapter 15 that God renewed that covenant with him and talked to him about having a son. In Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, he's really old, and so is Sarah, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. If we jump to Genesis chapter 15, we see the account of this actually happen. So this is the second time that God appeared to, to Abraham, and it was... It was 10 years later. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I can't see because there's this thing there. Your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? As, as I read through this, kind of think about Abram's tone. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. What, what, is, what is the tone you get from Abram in these verses? Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant, and I think he's a little frustrated. You know, I, I think, you know, it's been years since God talked to him last. Nothing has happened. All he's doing is wandering around, living in tents, and he's frustrated, right? It, and... It wasn't really a matter of a lack of faith. It was, it was logic. It was frustration. Abraham had to get, be getting pretty tired of this whole thing by this point. He'd already waited for 10 years. But Abraham was actually right. He'd been waiting for 10 years. It was absurd for him to father a child at this point. There are certain biological changes that occur, both in men and women, as they age. And it was absurd to think that he could have a child, or that Sarah could have a child. And th th this absurdity, as we'll get into over the next couple of weeks, this absurdity at not being able to have a child is going to later impact um, God's later command for Abraham to kill Isaac. And we'll see that in a couple of weeks. 
So Abraham came up with solutions. Actually, um, here he talks about um, Eliezer of Damascus. So Abraham had already thought about this. He said, this, this, this is absurd. It's not going to work. So who could be my heir? So he, he thought this servant in his household could be his heir. Now, just to let you know, at the time, it was perfectly legal for a childless man to adopt one of his servants to be his heir or guardian of his, his estate. So Abraham was already thinking about this. He's like, hmm, who could, who could, how could this work out? I trust what God's saying, but what God's saying is impossible, so how is this going to work? And what is, what is God, God just shoots this right down. He says, this man will not be your heir. He says, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Someone who's sharing your DNA, someone who has your DNA will be your heir. So now, Abraham's thinking about this. He's like, well, how's this going to work? And later, what we're going to find is that, if you read the biblical account, is that Sarah came up with a great idea. She's like, hmm, so it's got to be your DNA. He didn't say anything about it being my DNA. So here, why don't you take Hagar, my servant, and start a family through her? Very logical, okay? And, and legal and completely moral at that time. People did this all the time. If you keep reading in the book of Genesis, you'll see that Jacob was given uh, Leah and Rachel's maidservants to father children through. It was a common thing. It happened all the time. And it was a logical solution to the problem. Okay? Now, we look at that in hindsight, and we go, well, Abraham didn't have much faith, did he? I would have waited. <laughs> yeah, sure you would. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I, you know, I find myself all the time trying to push God's agenda through. Do you ever do that? You know, you, you kind of hurry God's, well, what can I do to kind of get this moving here? Um, what, I, I do it. And it's interesting because, you know, we can be all condemning of Abraham and said, well, he had no faith. But it's interesting here because there's nowhere in the scripture where God condemns Abraham for doing that. And he doesn't condemn Sarah for it either. There's, there's no, well, I'm very disappointed in you, Abraham, because you went ahead and did this. It's not there. Um, and I find that kind of interesting because, and in fact, an angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and actually blessed her and blessed her son Ishmael and said, I'm going to make a nation out of him, too. So it's almost like there's this uh, total acceptance by God of the situation, and he's going to bless Abram and Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah anyway. Okay, We were talking about this a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the role of doubt in faith. And... I think we came up with the idea that doubt is a, is a part of faith. If we didn't have any doubts, what would faith be? There's, there's room for doubt in our faith. And Abraham's story was not of, you know, all these successes over and over. 
but it was actually one of, of reality. I mean, Abram was living a real life. He wasn't, and I, I like that because we don't look back at Abraham and go, oh, he was the, the greatest man of faith. He never did anything wrong. He, you know, he, he was doing the best with what he had. He, he had to wait, and he got tired of waiting sometimes, just like we do. I find that encouraging. I want to go in one more direction here with this. Um, in this verse in Genesis 15, 6. Abra after God made this covenant and he said, you're going to be the father of multitudes, Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is one of those verses that you could... We could spend a whole year studying this and the ramifications of this work. This is a, basically a summary of the gospel. It's, it's a summary of the rest of the scriptures, of what God's trying to do. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul takes off on this. He, he quotes it in Romans chapter 4. The whole chapter is based on this verse. In Galatians chapter 3, the whole chapter is based on this verse. And James, in James chapter 2, he talks about this verse as well. Um, if there's one thing we can take away from our study of Abraham, it's the whole idea that Abraham didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to get the position that he had in God's eyes. He didn't do anything to make himself look better in God's eyes. God didn't require him to do anything except just get up and go where I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you somewhere, and you just have to come along. Come and see. Come and see what I'm going to do for you. He didn't, he didn't actually do anything. It was God's sovereign choice, God's grace, based on Abram's faith. And what I'd like to do is just look at Galatians chapter 3, because Paul kind of takes off on this verse, and it's, it has a lot of meaning for us in the New Testament church. Let me just set the stage for you guys. So Galatians chapter 3, um, the church has these people in it called Judaizers. And the Judaizers were uh, Jewish Christians. They were believers, right? Um, but... They didn't believe that just believing by faith that Jesus died for you is enough to make you a Christian. They thought that, yeah, that's fine, but you also have to bring in the um, rules and the customs handed down by Moses in the Old Testament, including circ circumcision. To be a Christian, you had to not only trust in Christ, but you had to keep those rights too, okay? And they felt that Paul was kind of compromising things. He was trying to make things easier for the Gentiles by saying, you don't have to follow these Jewish laws. And the Gentiles weren't too excited about the whole circumcision thing, but that's what they were, they were saying that they needed to do. They believed that faith alone was not enough to be in with God. So Paul used the example of Abraham. 
Abraham was their hero. There was these Jewish believers. Abraham was always their hero. So he said, here's Abraham, a man who did nothing to earn God's favor except to believe his promises. So let's look at these verses in uh, Galatians. It said, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. All those who believe, including these Gentiles who aren't circumcised, they're still the children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. See, I was quoting Genesis. And those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might also come to the Gentiles, to us, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the power of the promise of the Spirit. I, you know, I don't always blame the Judaizers. I think, because I think we all kind of do that, right? We all try to add something to the grace of God. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Surely I have to do something to earn God's favor. I can't just believe, believe it and then walk away. I have to do something. We, we all struggle with that. And it might be, you know, you might do crazy things, like maybe you're like, well, I, I, maybe I need to go to seminary or become a missionary or sell all that I have and, and give it to the poor. And maybe that's what God might call you to do, but you don't have to do those things to earn God's favor. The only thing you can do is trust and believe. That's all God's called us to do. We don't earn God's favor by being good. We don't earn God's favor by doing good things. We, we can re reform ourselves all we want. We can become Mother Teresa. But that doesn't earn God's favor. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He didn't come to make good people better. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And there's nothing we can do about that. He did it all. And that's, that's God's grace. That's what faith is. As I close up here, can I just ask the band to come on down here? Only believing in God's promise can we be made alive again. I don't know, maybe you've never heard that before. Or maybe you're struggling in your life trying, trying to please God, desperately trying to please God by things that you do. There's nothing that you can do that's going to please God. The only thing you can do is trust in what he's already done for you. And then you become a child of God. The Bible says we can turn to him and we can call him Abba, Father. You have made me your child just through faith. And we have to, we have to believe that. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, 
you have made a covenant with us. You've made a covenant with all of mankind. And it's all your work. You've done it all. And we learn that through Abraham and just how he just trusted in you and you redeemed him. You considered him righteous in the same way you consider us righteous just by trusting in you. And I pray for all of us that we would learn that and that we would stop trying to do it on our own, earn our salvation, or try to get in your good graces. The only thing you require of us is that we remain in you, that we abide in you. And help us to trust that. And we pray this in Jesus' name.